Good morning, everyone. So glad you found us here on The Map, the mental health and addiction podcast. I'm Kimberly Walsh, and I'm here with my partners in crime, the wonderful Andy Panda Bernstein. Ahoy there. Howdy. (laughs) Howdy, howdy. Howdy, And the amazing Chris Perry Long. Hello, my friend. (laughs) Hello. Hello, hello. So before we get to our guest today, let me tell you guys a little bit about who we are. Uh, Chris Long has been in the industry for many years, dedicating herself to working with families and helping people get into treatment. And Andy has been an advocate for mental health and addiction, both as the producer of Crosscheck Radio, as well as through his own experiences. As for me, I have an extensive background in recovery, and I'm the founder of Brady's Landing, which is a sober home for women on the Cape. We put this podcast together because the three of us are quite passionate um, about reducing the stigma around mental health and addiction. And we believe that the more light we shed on these topics, the less people will stigmatize and punish those who suffer from mental illness and addiction, which will then encourage them to seek treatment. Um, During the podcast, please post your questions and we will answer them during the show. I don't know if we have a poll for today, but if we have a poll, you can answer um, right on Facebook or on a live chat on YouTube. Um, And remember to tag your friends and share this link with as many people as you can who you think might benefit from the information we share the love, share the love, share the love, share the love, right? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Finally, all of our episodes are available on iTunes, Stitcher and tune in. So, all right, guys, let's check in Panda. Um, Okay. The hits keep on coming. (laughs) My dog, I would think I was telling you guys, my doggy took a tumble this week yeah how is bailey Bailey is home she's on the mend she basically was laid up with her back and (laughs) she's may have a slip disc oh no but we have to keep her calm which is a big feat in itself yeah um good luck with that doggy downers (laughs) i know well that's what she's getting and i feel so bad for her i feel so bad and actually that should be a topic for another day, which is about um, people stealing pain medication from animals, oh, uh, oh my hospitals, God. and using yeah. them. Oh, no. But anyway, other than that, um, yeah, I'm good. Good. I'm good. Okay. Stand positive. Yeah. yeah. Stand positive. Miss Chris, how are you? I'm good. I went on a job interview yesterday. I went up to New Hampshire and uh, interviewed, and uh, and it was. So nice to sit in a restaurant and um, talk to somebody other than the people that live in this house <laughs> and uh, have people wait on me. I mean, I don't mean to sound like privileged or anything, but it was just nice. <laughs> it was just nice to, uh, I know, to like sit down and have food prepared for me instead of me always preparing. Because I'm telling you what, it's getting old making meals. I don't know what to cook anymore. I'm tired of cooking. I'm getting lazy. Order out. Yeah. Yeah, but it never tastes good. And the other, so I ordered dinner a couple of weeks ago, right? And I ordered this, like, they, a lot of restaurants are getting really creative and they're like doing meals for like two and three and four or whatever. So I ordered like this steak dinner at one of our local restaurants for my husband and I. And it came with roasted potatoes and asparagus and steak. So I get it home and I'm like so excited. I'm, like, it's they throw it restaurant. in the box. No, 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 no. I open up the bag and the potatoes are all, you know, they're all cooked. You just have to heat them up if they're cool. The asparagus is all cooked. The steaks weren't cooked. We had to cook the steaks. I was totally unprepared. It said nowhere on the menu. My family was like, you didn't read the menu. And I'm like, I pulled up the menu. I'm like, please tell me where it says the steaks come uncooked. It came with like a rub and everything. We had to prepare the steaks ourselves. So I was like, I mean, it was still good. But I was kind of aggravated because I was like, I didn't want to cook. That was the whole point. But it you, was know, good. you know, there's a restaurant in, um, I just, you reminded me of something. There's a restaurant in Norfolk, Virginia, or Virginia Beach. It used to be there when I lived there in the 90s called the Great Steak. And you basically would go pick your steak out of a freezer or out of a refrigerator, take it and cook it yourself on this big pit. 
and with your own potato. I'm like, what do I want to do that for? <laughs> like I could just What's stay the home. draw there? Right. I could just stay home and grill. I don't know if they're right. still in business, but uh yeah, the great steak in uh Virginia Beach, Virginia. Okay. What was the place that was like in Massachusetts? There was a couple of them and they had the big cows in the front Hill, lawn. Hilltop. Hilltop, yeah. You could go in there and you could pick your steak. We were over there yesterday up in uh they had a big cactus up there and and, and saw those this are, one. Yeah. Those are, those are yummy, those cacti. Who doesn't like cacti? All right. (laughs) All right. So I got an article, guys. Uh Uh-oh. Can can I read my article? Oh, Kimberly, how are you? Let's talk about you. Oh, yeah. I always forget Kimberly because she's like, (laughs) sorry. They always forget me. Everything's good. Um, I've got, you know, it's a good day to be alive. It's a little dreary today. Um, But uh, Rose and I are keeping busy and um, everything looks really good. All good in the hood. All good in the hood. I got nothing to complain about. That's How's cool. the cape? Is it getting busy at all? Do you see anything picking up? It's it's picking up a little less. So yesterday the the beach was packed. It was absolutely packed, and and we did like a seven mile bike ride on the canal. It was beautiful yesterday. Absolutely beautiful. But um, today not so much. But yeah, no, we had a great day yesterday. Um, just have to get on the John Deere and take care of this lawn because it's with the sun rain, sun rain. It's <laughs> stop. You it's, get on the tractor. Oh yeah. The John Deere all around. Wow, well, you do place. it all. <laughs> you do then it I get jump on my Harley and then I go. And then you sing and then you're gonna go sing <laughs> a little bit. All right. Hey. Yes, life So is I want to share an article. Please I, do. I, it's pretty funny. Um it's not funny, haha. It's just kind of ironic. Is uh this comes to us from vice.com. So and I had to read it and double read it because it was bizarre to me, but you know. It is what it is. Um, with the anxiety levels at an all-time high, prescriptions for Xanax, which is highly addictive, was up 15% in March. But don't, for, don't fret, anxiety suffers, because the Swiss psychedelic pharma company MindMed is asking the FDA for permission to begin a human trial in the U.S. where therapists would give experiential doses of, drumroll, LSD. <laughs> LSD, LSD to patients. Yeah. The company MindMed believes that LSD is a non-addictive alternative to treating anxiety. So on Thursday, the company announced plans to become the first pharma company ever to use LSD in a commercial drug trial. Their new project aptly named Project Lucy. Project it, Lucy. Like, like Lucy, Lucy in the sky, sky with diamonds. It's <laughs> a drug development program designed for the treatment of anxiety. And what they're trying to do is prove that the drugs medicinal benefits and that it's not dangerous to use on humans when it's administered in a controlled setting like a doctor's office. What do you say to that? Next thing you know, they're going to legalize pot. Oh, it already wait. is. It already <laughs> just, is. It already is. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that's, a, that's nuts. That's Lucy in the sky with diamonds. Yeah. yeah. Migration. That's like on, I, on top of this mountain with spaghetti and meatballs. I, I'm like, uh, yeah, like, okay, are they going to brand it with like different, um, you know, like little smiley faces and butterflies? And chasing and the dragon. Like. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, LSD. Yeah. But you know I'm what? On dragon. Netflix. On, check this out on Netflix. There's actually a documentary about LSD and sting is one of the people that they interview. And he's like, I'm a big user of LSD. Um, I, you know, use it to, you know, when I want to be creative and, and, oh, no. and stuff. And so he, he's a big proponent of it. So Lord help us if that becomes. Oh my God. I love you know, you're right, Andy. I love it when they say, oh, well, it enhances, you know, when I take the drug, it enhances my personality. And it, you know, and I'm like, well, what if you're an a-hole? <laughs> yeah. Then you're worse. <laughs> yeah. So do you, I've been a uh, rabid baseball fan. There was, yeah, baseball. Um, Doc Ellis. What? Andy's making a, a baseball analogy? A uh, yeah. sports analogy? Yeah. Um, there was a pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. His name was Doc Ellis. Doc Ellis. Pitched a no hitter while tripping on LSD. How about that? So, are you an advocate? No, I'm not. I think study? it's insane. I think it's insane. LSD, really? We already have enough issues. So, anyway, I thought you guys get a kick out of that. So, that's about that. that's crazy. That's 
Did it already get approved, Andy? No. Already no, no, like no, moving forward? In, oh, okay. No, but they're working on it. And you know what? Let's Who knows? Let, let yeah. us know how it works out. I'll keep you posted. I'm on, I have the pulse on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Keep your finger on that pulse. So that's my story. All right. That's your story and you're sticking to it? Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Do, you have a, do you have a take on that, Ms. Chris? Uh, I, I got to read into it and I got to look into it. And uh, I, I don't have a take on it. I think it's bizarre. Um, it kind of goes back to the conversation of what um, what we had said before, uh, you know, what what um Willie was saying on Monday about how you know the the psycho farm drugs versus like the natural loot I would really like to look into the natural you know putting those supplements back into your body mm-hmm. that way a little bit more it'd be kind of cool if we could get a guest that that does that for a little yeah bit. I agree all right I Andy agree. find us one will you yeah. speaking of I will so, find a guest speaking, speaking of guests <laughs> Yeah, Kimberly, exactly. who's, uh, who's who's introducing our guest? Is that a Chris? Uh, that's going to be Chris. Yeah, she's going to take it away. Chris, you tell us who our guest is today. All right. I don't. Oh, there he is. Um, today's guest is Dan Foley. Um, he's in recovery in, in long term recovery. He has um, worked for uh, MGH as a specialist. He is in Nashua Jail um, as a recovery support specialist. Um, he is the peer support director, I believe at the turning point recovery center in Walpole, which I've had the pleasures of, excuse me, visiting. Um, it's a center where you can go and they do all kinds of different, um, they have lots of resources for people that are in recovery. It's, it's actually really cool. I toured it, um, when it first opened before it was even opened, um, you know, they do yoga, they do, they have a nutritionist downstairs, they have computers to help with jobs, they run groups, um, they have support for single parents um, with children so that you can come in. It's it's just a really, really neat place, um, place to go um, that offers a lot of support. And I'm really interested, uh, Dan and I were talking uh, before that he works in Nashua street. And I had seen, um, on Nat Geo, a documentary, uh, they, they do this locked up. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it was on Nashua street and, uh, they followed these, these three different individuals. Uh, one was a set of brothers and one was just another guy. And they talked about the streets of Boston and how hard it is to get sober um, when you live like in the projects and lack of support and how easy it is. They also talked about like basically in Boston, there's a gang on every corner, small gangs. Yeah. I mean, I knew there were gangs, but I didn't know that there was so many gangs and that runs, um, you know, that that's also something that, you know, they have a big problem up they have a big problem up there, right? I mean, if you get off the exit in Manchester, there's a sign that says, don't give money to yeah, really to the homeless because of, um, for buying drugs or something to that effect. And, uh, a lot of it has to do with, I just wanted to chime in, but a lot of it has to do with, um, there's a book called dreamland and dreamland yeah. is about, um, it's a really fascinating book of how the Mexican drug cartel has come in and infiltrated and they set up these stores called um, La Tiendas and they set them up in secondary cities like a Manchester, New Hampshire, because they don't want to compete with like the big gangs and, you know, big cities. So they, they set up and they, they basically target smaller, smaller communities. And that coupled with the fact that it's on 95 and closer to, you know, for, um, you know, distribution, um, Manchester's got a big problem from what I understand. So I was up in Manchester yesterday and my daughter went to, to SNU. She actually graduated my youngest, our baby. Today's her birthday, actually. Um, happy birthday. Happy birthday. Woo. I know. And, um, I was, I knew that there were people, I worked for a facility and, and, um, they accepted New Hampshire healthy families, which is a, like a Medicaid form of insurance. It's New Hampshire. And 
we had people that came in and they shared their stories a little bit. And this one gentleman said that he's been living in a tent for over a year in Manchester. And right as you get on the exit, there's this big factory. Yep. Um, and you can see they're right on the river. You can see all these tents and I had no idea. But what was, what was even more kind of mind blowing was that when you're going to um, SNHU, uh, there he is, SNHU um, arena, there's a, the side road that runs with the canal. There's a whole tent, tent city that they fenced off. They let them live there, but it's, it's watched by cops. It's crazy. I was like blown away. But anyway. What's going on there? Dan Foley's here. Dan Foley's here. Hey, Dan. You made it. Hi. Sorry about that. Um, I had a I think Google something open, and I think that was using my camera. The invite was a little funky. It had two different apps to use. I don't know. Um, I'm still figuring all this stuff out. So That probably- person's fired. Whoever did yeah, that, fired. they're fired. They're I'm out. pretty that sure it's me. Oper- <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> How are sure- you? It's operator error. Don't worry. Um, yeah. I'm doing all right. How, how are you guys all doing? Yeah, we're living the dream. <laughs> <laughs> that pandemic nightmare dream. Yeah, yeah. It's good stuff. Yeah. So we'd love to hear we'd love to hear a little bit about your story and uh what you do and where you are and all that kind of fun stuff. Okay. Um I am a recovering everything addict. I've struggled with substance use most of my life. Um Started, I guess, relatively young compared to what I've been told. But, um, yeah, I discovered, you know, heavy drugs at a young age. I was cooking cocaine by the time I was 12 or 13. Um, New Jack City came out and we're like, oh, why are we sniffing this stuff? We got to learn that recipe. Color me bad. Color me bad. And Hey, Dan, hold on for one second. So up here is Andy Bernstein. And I meant to introduce on a little bit. I lack on that. And then Kimberly, who has Brady's Landing down on the cage, which is a woman's song. Sorry, nice to meet you, Dan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I guess I'm fired, too. <laughs> yeah. No, no. I, I call it Friday. I call introductions. I, could, I was here all along. I just, you guys couldn't see me. I was that creep in the corner, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> He's trolling around back there. Yeah. Wallflower. Wallflower. <laughs> um, but yeah, I uh, struggled for quite some time. Um, I have been in and out of jail most of my adult life, all petty county time. Um, 60 days here, 90 days here, a year here, pre trial. Um, nothing substantial but it was just a constant um and yeah i got sick and tired of being sick and tired i don't know if anybody's ever heard that but i got (laughs) sick of the negative consequences is what it was you know um the the drugs they they feel great we all know that but the negative consequences they don't and they stack up exponentially over time and eventually you know you have a legal wreckage behind you or I had a legal wreckage behind me. Um, the social ramifications, relationships had been destroyed. I, you know, was sick and tired of causing the pain and destruction. And I decided to um, do something about it. One second. I'm- <laughs> but it's not jury making sandwiches. Right. No, it's, it's called real life on the pandemic with yeah. children. Are those oh, his coworkers? Yeah. I was going to ask if those were his coworkers. Yeah. <laughs> happens to the best of us. Right? Did, you duct, tape, did you duct tape them to the wall? Because that's what I do. If I could turn my camera. <laughs> I know. Well, you know what? It's it's socially acceptable to be able to um, pause and talk to your kids or dogs. Yeah. Or- Whatever. He's, you know, he's three years old and it's tough for him. He's not used to having his parents home all day. And we are both trying to work full-time jobs. I'm working three jobs remotely, none of which were intended to be worked from home. So it's a challenge to say the least. So, so where, Dan, where did you, oh, I'm sorry, Chris, go ahead. Go ahead. I just want so, to know where to work. What's that? Where you want to know where yeah. he works? Oh, okay. Um, 
I am full-time employed as a recovery coach at the Nashua Street Jail in Suffolk County. Um, I am part-time employed as a family recovery support specialist with the First Steps Together program out of Quincy, which has a catchment area from Quincy to Wareham, I believe. Um, and then I am also part-time as a recovery support specialist at the Turning Point Recovery Center in Walpole. Um, so, yeah. That's, that's busy. The, to say the least, to say the least, um, it, it's, I don't know, it's something I love to do, so it doesn't really feel like work, you know? I feel like I have the greatest jobs in the world. Like, I get to just kick it and make connections with human beings and like who doesn't want to do that um, how did you get into the industry Deanna? um i honestly had no intentions on it i said it a million times when i was first trying to get into recovery um i never put any attempts into recovery um sorry one second Happens to the best of us. Right? It does happen to the best of us. It's <laughs> real life. It's it's tough. It's tough having kids and being home and trying to. I can't imagine what it's like for him to have to be doing Zoom talking to people and you know. Yeah, that's got to be hard. It, it, yeah, it ha- I mean, <clears throat> it happens. And I've I've been watching national news and it happens where somebody, yeah, you know, has to do it. I mean, this is the. The, the new reality. I, I mean, I know my, my wife's going to be, has been home for quite some time and will continue to be home for a while. There he is. He's back. So tell us about Nashua street. I'm really curious. We had talked a little bit about, um, we had talked a little bit about the Nat Geo show and how they had followed these three brothers or two brothers and a, and another gentleman. And I'm really curious. Do you see repeat people coming back i mean are you making a difference is it helping having recovery coaches and recovery support people in nashua street (laughs) that is a wonderful question and that is honestly like the point of having me there is to figure that out it is a pilot program um i am the recovery coach like the only one in the entire um facility the so it's a lot but yeah there's definitely um a high rate of recidivism i think is how they would put it um but yeah a lot of repeat offenders if you want to put it that way um but i also i see a tremendous amount of growth i see a tremendous amount of, of um individuals that are making changes and um, uh, a ton of individuals that want to make changes, but may not know how to facilitate those changes. And that's where having a recovery support specialist recovery coach step in can really help that. Um, to just, I, I literally, I walk into a unit and just kind of hang out. I don't have an office. I don't, I don't operate like that. I meet individuals literally where they're at. The only difference is, one bad decision and the lack of a jumpsuit is the way I put it. Um, so through conversation and getting to know anybody, it's a matter of like, okay, where you're running into this situation, maybe this resource could help. And then if it's something I can refer to, I will, if not, I'll get them connected to the provider who needs to make that referral when they're released. Do you share your own stories with them? Absolutely. Yes. So speaking um, of, your story, I, cause I had a question. Um, where, where, where did you grow up? Where, you know, how did you, um, kind of what was your path to, um, you know, what kind of, when did it all change for you? Well, thank you for the assumption that I did in fact grow up. Um, there's <laughs> many people that would argue that point. Um, but yeah, I grew up, um, in Attleboro, Mass. Okay. So I spent most of my childhood and adult life in in and around Attleboro, uh, Bristol County. Um, and then I moved to Boston, uh, I don't know, probably 10 to 15 years ago. And then two years ago, we actually were um, able to buy a house and we're living in Stoughton now, which is uh, unbelievable. Wow, that's awesome. 
It is. It's <laughs> I I used to call it one of the gifts of recovery, but I recently like was thinking about that. Like, Nobody gave me this. This is one of the rewards of my recovery. This is hard work paying off. That's a reward, not a gift. There's there's a difference, and like there is a difference. To me, yeah. the language is important, and the language I use in my own head is extremely important. Um, I don't want myself to think I was given anything because complacency um, would be very detrimental for someone like myself. How long have you been in the program? Um, I have been in um, sustained recovery. It's been a little over four years, I think. Um, I know I got today. Um, Time is like one of those funny things. I don't try to keep track of it but every now and then um there's a day to celebrate you know but once a year apparently um but yeah it's been over four years i it was uh in april was my anniversary i'm not sure the exact date happy birthday (laughs) thank you um but you you referred to the program i am not um like a practicing 12 step member, although I do enjoy a good AA or NA meeting. Um, I am kind of uh, like I introduce myself as a recovering everything addict. I also consider myself a recovery mutt in that um, <laughs> I said no, I, I never said no to a drug. You know, I might not have bought the crack because I bought too much heroin. But if it was there, I was doing it. So I treat my recovery the same way. So I, um, I think I kind of built my the foundation of my recovery through smart recovery. What but, does that mean? What What does that mean? Smart recovery. Oh, smart recovery is um, another path in recovery. It's similar to AA and NA in that it is an abstinence based program. It's an acronym: Self Management and Recovery Training. Huh. Uh, and it's based, it utilizes tools from cognitive behavioral therapy and rational emotive behavioral therapy. It's based on the latest science of what they refer to as the addicted mind. Um, it's for any maladapted behavior for which you face negative consequences, meaning that it works for addictions, eating disorders, cutting, you name it. If you face negative consequences for it, but you continually do it, it's more than likely triggering the same part of the brain. So the same tools and techniques can be used to combat it. Um, Very well explained. That was perfect. (laughs) I became a facilitator. I took took the class. I'll tell you, did you, how long ago did you take it? Uh, This would have been in 2016. Oh, okay. So you took it a while ago. So they still had those same, monotone videos that you really had to keep your eyes open to. Oh my goodness. It was painful, but it was really interesting. Um, Yeah. I got a lot from it and I went, I literally, I wrapped up that training. I was three months into this recovery journey. I was volunteering at a peer recovery center in Quincy called the new way recovery center. Um, I grew up working in the trades. I left a really good job. Um, I was a Marine technician. I was making very, very good money. Um, I tried going back to work after I got out of detox and I, I mean, immediately relapsed and like just didn't work out. I tried going back, um, in my brain, I think just equates the trades with copious amounts of heroin because the two were so intermingled for so many years. Was pain part of it? Um, yeah, I mean, I had four knee surgeries, kind of back to back to back to back. And then that culminated into a spinal fusion surgery, which is where I got introduced to the Oxycontins. Um, And uh, I mean, but it goes back before that at the age of 17, I um, found myself in the Dartmouth House of Corrections for the first time. I was there for an extended period of time, pre-trial for (laughs) some stuff. And that's where I was introduced to heroin originally. Um, I had already been freebasing cocaine. That was my thing. Um, But it wasn't accessible in Dartmouth, but heroin was readily available and I was well connected. Available in jail. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. How? Um, How did it get in? (laughs) I'm being naive. I'm being naive. 
All kinds of ways. I call it nature's pocket, um, but there's also the, the main the main way. It took you a second. It took you a second. Um, it's tremendous. It's an exit, not an entrance. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. No, but. The, honestly, the, the main way that I saw was um, staff. Um, you know, I call it fishing. You just get casual with them and, you know, start throwing numbers around. You know, oh, I'll give you a 5Gs, da 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 Like, and event, you keep fishing, you're going to hook something eventually. Um, Not that this but, is a training for how to get drugs while you're in jail. No, yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> Has it changed? I mean, are you seeing it in, I mean, cause I've heard this before and my son did seven months in uh, Worcester and he was telling me the stories about how you could get drugs. And, you know, back then, which was a few years ago, I was very naive and I was like, the jail is the safest place for you to be. And, you know, you can't use in jail. And, you know, he's like, mom, uh, wake up. It's easier. And Yeah. And I can't get arrested because I'm already in jail. So, like, is it is it still very prevalent in, like, National Street or you can't talk about it or... I'm really... I, I'm going to move away from that topic because I don't know if I'm allowed to talk on it and okay. I don't want to step on any toes. I err on the side of caution. I, yep. I love my job and I don't want to do anything to jeopardize right. it. No, I respect that. I, respect I, I thank you. But I back... You know, in the day when I was 17, I'm 41 now, um, so I feel like the statute of limitations probably ran out. Um, it was very prevalent in the Dartmouth House of Corrections, and I will say um, the ways in which the things got in there, they're never going to change. They're just going to – you can put up whatever you want, um, and necessity is the root of all invention. Um, so individuals with nothing but time on their hand are extremely creative in what they will do. Um, so I'll, I'll leave that there, but it's Andy, um, you have another, another show. Another show. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I yeah. had a question. How, how, so it's actually two part. How old were you when you started using for the first time? And what was your defining moment in life when you decided you had enough? Hmm. Okay. I started using, um, it, that's a tricky one because it depends on what you define as using, but I mean, I started smoking marijuana in like elementary school. Um, I can remember like second or third grade learning how to twist a joint and being like, yeah, we don't need to use wow. a can anymore. That young. Can. Um, and yeah, I graduated to cocaine before I was a teenager. Um, and yeah, that I was very adept at hiding it. So, um, I was always in honors classes throughout school until high school. Then my grades just plummeted because I just did not care anymore. Um, but I still was in the honors classes and whatnot. Um, so yeah, I, when I say I started relatively young, I gauge that relativeness by the reactions in conversations like this. Like all three are like, "What?" Well, marijuana, <laughs> because people are so you know, dis, you know, so many people are so dismissive of marijuana and not realizing that. And you probably guys can concur more than I can, but that's what I hear is it's a gateway drug in a lot of ways. I would I disagree wholeheartedly with that statement. Okay, I think. All right. I personally think that, and this is my own personal opinion, sure. this does not go with any of the organizations for which I work. That's my little disclaimer. Anything I say is my personal opinion. Okay. The um, views and comments. Thank you. Yeah. But no, um, I think that marijuana is not a gateway drug, but it can create gateway behaviors when it is treated as an illicit substance. I think the legalization of marijuana will help to eliminate it as a gateway drug. A uh, six, seven-year-old kid can't walk into a dispensary and buy it anymore. You know what I mean? Right. Whereas I had my ways of getting it, um, but I had to sneak around. I had to hide it. If it's legal, it's out in the open. You don't have to hide it. Those are gateway behaviors, the lying, sneaking, blah, blah, blah. Makes sense. Um, 
And to put that age limit on it, now your brain is more developed by the time you first use it. I mean, that's up for debate, obviously, but um, I think it's better to have it legal than illegal because it at least will help to eliminate some of the gateway behaviors. Um, I was not introduced to cocaine at a legal marijuana dispensary. I was introduced to it by my illegal marijuana dealers, though. You know what I mean? Oh, I got shrooms. Oh, I got acid. Um, so it's, I think it can help to eliminate those types of things. Um, just like your conversation prior to this in regards to the use of LSD in the treatment of depression. There have been studies on mushrooms, microdosing, that are proving to be extremely effective in the treatment of depression and I believe anxiety, um, MDMA is well known to treat PTSD extremely effectively. Um, So I think it's important that um, the research gets done as long as it's done in an impartial way. Um, And I don't for a minute think that they're going to just like create a hippie commune and be like, yeah, man, take some ass. Right. No, bro. Um, they're gonna, I'm sure, do it in a very controlled environment and um, do their due diligence. I would hope. Um, you would. Why? No, I, I was going to ask about your defining moment, and then I'll shut up. But uh, what was your kind of your defining moment as to when it was time to, um, you know, what kind of rattled you to get to? Um, uh, yeah, the it, path you're on now. Yeah, that's a good question. And I'd love to sit here and say I had this shining moment where the, the Lord spoke to me and um, I had an awakening. Um, it wasn't like that. I, like I said, I was working as a Marine technician. I made good money, but I still couldn't support my heroin addiction. So I had stolen some money out of my now wife, um, her purse in the morning um, before work so I could get off E so I could make it to work. And I then went into the bathroom to get ready and she asked me, where's my money? So that tells you where our relationship was. The fact that she was counting her money before she left her house and left our house in the morning. You know what I mean? Um, right. So of course, like the good hearted man that I was at the time, I then helped her look for said money for quite some time and couldn't find it. Go figure. So I I, uh, went to relieve myself in the bathroom while I was doing that. She had found the money um, in the fifth pocket of the jeans I was going to wear to work that day. Um, and she came in like, you don't know where this was. And I, I, instead of coming up with a million excuses, like, oh, I really needed it to cover this bill or whatever, which all those thoughts raced through my head. I just kind of blurted it out. I have a serious heroin addiction. Um, and she had no, she, I say she had no clue. She clearly had a clue, but it just hadn't been put out there. I think she being the honest person that she is couldn't imagine living the web of lies that I had to create to continue that habit. Um, And I thought that statement was going to just create a situation where I was homeless and, you know, I would play it out from there and probably just go to jail um, was literally like the linear thought that I had, but she said, okay, well, we need to get you some help. And I sat down and Googled detoxes with her and ended up going to detox. And that's what culminated this recovery journey. Um, I went to the one detox and then CSS for third. I was there a total of 13 days in Quincy. Um, Left, went back to work, got high once overdosed, ended up getting section 12 for three days. And here we are today. Um, So it's been a a wild ride. I did a number of, uh, I did two back-to-back IOP outpatient. Um, I didn't feel like inpatient would be the best road for me. Um, Given like the 13 days, I was like running a store out of my room and like 
bad habits came back real quick. And I was like, how am I going to get right if I'm doing all this dirt? I just, in, maybe I'm institutionalized. I don't know, but I didn't think the inpatient route would work. But I said, if this way doesn't work, I'm going to do something else. Um, so something else could have meant I'll get to a suboxone provider, a methadone provider. I don't know what something else was, but if this isn't broke, I'm not trying to fix it right now either. I also committed to this recovery journey and trying to figure out what it looks like. So that's why when I found a new way recovery center in Quincy, it was like, like I got all pathways under one roof. I can explore what's going to work for me because honestly, like, Coming up through the systems, it, the 12 steps were not the path for Dan Foley is what it felt like. I never felt like I truly belonged. Um, and I was told, fake it till you make it. But that was contradictory to it being a, an honesty-based program. And, ah, and honestly, you're too much of an individual, I'm going to guess, that you're a little bit <clears throat> couldn't now. Like you, I think it's it hard was, to buy I in. Did, I didn't want to embrace recovery. Um, okay. I said it, even when I said, I'm going to give this thing a go to my wife in a private conversation, I said, I'm going to give this thing everything I got, but I promise you, I will never be one of those people that makes recovery their whole life. It's all they ever talk about, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Fast forward like two years and that's all I ever talk about. It's my <laughs> work. And like, I've never been happier. And like, <laughs> everything, all these rewards are coming into my life. It's like such a beautiful journey. And like, I own it. Like I am, I do not fault the 12 steps for anything. I fault myself. I was not ready, but that was in my head. And what I think affects the way I feel affects the way I act. So for me to just get my hands on any other path that I didn't know existed, Smart Recovery got introduced to me by my roommate in the psychiatric ward. I was section 12 to like, what? I had no idea it even existed, but I got out and I went to the meeting at the Faulkner Hospital in Jamaica Plain. And I was like, oh, I can get into this. Um, And I being an addict, a true addict, I got into it. I started um going to as many meetings of it as i could i did the facilitators training and then the because i was volunteering at the recovery center because i knew i couldn't go back to work i needed to figure out myself um and i found i could go there and be safe um and not worry about me getting high and just explore paths um they offered me to go to the recovery coach Academy that they were hosting at their facility. They were going to pay for it for me because I was volunteering and the smart recovery model just segued beautifully into that um, model. And that's what jump started. They were also starting a pilot program for recovery coaches in the emergency departments of the Kearney hospital, Quincy medical center and South shore hospital. Um, and they offered me a job. I think I was around six months into this journey. Um, and I know they stuck their necks out heavily to get me on that team because of the two year requirement of recovery. So I said, I'm going to make sure I'm the best damn coach that has ever existed because I'm not going to let them down. Um, and that's just kind of snowballed into where I'm at today as far as my career. And my recovery. <laughs> and how, do you think and that how, your journey? Sorry, uh, sorry, Chris. Do you think that your your journey speaks to the philosophy that everybody has? A, everybody's an individual. You have to you have to take your journey just exactly the way it comes. I know we spoke to Beth Stark before on the show, and she read the Course in Miracles. I read the Course in Miracles. It, it takes you have to really you have to go with what speaks to you, right? I do um, agree with that wholeheartedly. I think everybody has a path, but everybody's path is not going to be identical. We might have a lot of similarities in a lot of ways, but, you know, this thing, if you consider it a disease, if you consider it a maladaptive behavior for which you face negative consequences, whatever you consider it, whatever it is, 
it comes from a very individualized place. You know, there's a lot of research point of the fact that it all comes stems back to our trauma history. Um, so if we have such an individualized problem where it initiated from the root cause, how could we have a blanket treatment? I think everybody's treatment needs to be individualized to their specific needs. It, for me, it's smart recovery with a dash of 12 step with a dash of the, you know, a little bit of everything. And then because I'm an addict, I'm going to do twice as much of it. Um, but I do, I think everybody's path is inherently different. And that's why I say like, I have the best job in the world. All I do is make connections with people. And then through those connections, I can try to get them plugged in to the variety of resources that are available. And so I try to be as well-versed as I can in the multiple, multiple, ever-growing number of pathways in recovery. Um, in this pandemic, one of the silver linings to come from this is my new ability to explore what pathways are there. And there was no way I could make it to a life ring meeting before this. But now you can jump in one any day of the week. You know, the only one on the East Coast was in Connecticut. I can't drive to Connecticut just to catch a meet and I got two young kids, you know. Right. Um, now Turning Point Recovery Center actually facilitates one because we were able to pull it over from the left coast because of the Zoom meetings. Um, so I'm seeing a lot of that, but it's to me important for anybody working as a recovery coach, peer support specialist, to be as well-versed in the variety of pathways, as many as you can get your hands on. It might not, it might go against my core system of beliefs, but I need to be educated on it because the individual who's struggling and in pain and suffering and sick and suffering right now, it could be that thing for them. So to hear somebody has Native American roots, to just know that the red road to wellbriety exists and have a little bit of knowledge about the Native American medicine wheel is, it's changed. That's awesome. The Native American medicine wheel is really interesting. And actually I have a potential guest that is a Native American and that's, that's all he does is he works with Native Americans. A lot of, there's a huge, the big tribes in Connecticut and mm. uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very interesting to hear uh, the the different, what they do, you know, and like you said, you know, I've been doing this for a long time too. And, and it's not one shoe size fits all. And, and we're so quick just to stuff them here or stuff them there because it's going to fix them. But at the end of the day, you know, it's when you really get to know that person and you find out what they really need, what really works for them. So Andy, you have a question? I do have a question. So here, here's, okay. So you, you, okay. So you, you become in recovery, you enter in the recovery. Now you're in recovery and you have to rebuild. I'm assuming you have to rebuild relationships and, and your life to move forward. What is your, you know, what are some of the things you've done in, in, you know, to, you know, we talked about cognitive behavioral therapy and the different things from a psychology um, standpoint. What, like, did you focus on like finances and things like that? Like, how did you um, take the steps to move forward to your life today? Like, what tools did you try to acquire? I, growing up in the trades, I love tools. So, it wasn't me searching for any specific tools, it was me getting my hands on any tools I could getting as well versed as I could in utilization of those tools and then deciding when to use that tool to apply to what job in life, so to speak. But as far as building back the relationships, that one, I do have a, a easy answer for easier said than done, obviously, but making sure that my actions lined up with my words consistently over time. And I've been amazed at the relationships that have been built back that I thought like I torched that bridge. Like that, right. is, that one's done. Um, right. The relationships not only get built back, but they get built back stronger than they ever were. And it's the simplest thing. Actions because of the transparency, because of your transparency. 
100%. I have very uncomfortable conversations with my mother and with my wife. Um, we're through like the brunt of that by now, but I made it very clear early on. You guys can ask me anything. I will not lie. Even if the answer is going to hurt you, you will get the truth because I, the lies, if the, what, sitting on the crapper that morning with my wife holding that money in her hand and me just being honest, it was the first honest thing that I had said to her. And it like, I thought it was going to feel like crap because I knew in my head, you're homeless, you're going back to jail. Like that's not a good feeling, but it was like, <sighs> it was so relieving. And I wanted more of that. Um, so now I'm scared to tell a white lie. I, both yep. of my children were born after I got into recovery. And you know that early stage in pregnancy when you're not allowed to tell anybody, that was difficult for me because I felt like I was lying to like my mother by not telling her. Mm. And like I right. um the it's honesty is parliament to me and my recovery because I know being so adept at hiding my addiction over the years, I am a very skilled manipulator and liar um and i don't like that i have those abilities so i need to be very proactive in combating those th their behaviors their habits that were burned into the, my brain and my way of life for years and years and years so i have to be vigilant in making sure they don't bubble up to the surface um, got it thank you that that's one of the yeah. questions I always try to find that out, like, like, how do you, um, okay, so now I'm in recovery now what? So that really helps how to learn how you move forward. Cause I'm, I'm assuming it's always a work in progress. Um, Kimberly. I think we're going to close. That is our show for today. We're running out of time. Dan, thank wow. you so much. So it was wonderful having you as a guest. And Chris, thanks for bringing him on. <laughs> how can we find you? Yes. Yeah. Where can we find you? <laughs> um, I, I don't know exactly what you mean. Well, if people want to talk to you and, you know, people want to tell us where's the best way that people can get in touch with you right now. Uh, probably Facebook. Um, that's how you and I got connected, Chris. Um, yep. I, I think that is a good step. We're still working on getting turning point open, um, with all of the, pandemic and preparations our building is not you know conducive to social distancing so to speak so we're figuring out the safest ways to do everything we're trying to take our time and due diligence to make sure it's 100 percent safe for everyone um so i would say facebook dan foley is my page um very simple <laughs> just like me well, it's been a pleasure thank yes you. thank you very much for your candor and uh, openness and it was great. Thank you guys. Thank you for having you. me. I'd love to come back anytime. I love this. <laughs> awesome. We'd love to have you. Take care, Dan. So for everyone else, that's our show for today. Um, please always feel free to reach out at our Facebook page, uh, the map 2020, or you can email us at the map podcast 20 at gmail.com or check the show notes for contact information. Thank you all again for your support of our mission, and we will see you on Wednesday, June 10th at 11 a.m. Have a great weekend, everyone.